Welcome to Season 2 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Welcome, everybody. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yep. This is Brandon speaking. This is Dan speaking. I'm very tired. That's okay. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. I might be a little delirious for today's recording. No problem. Because it was a full moon last night, and it was the brightest moon I've ever seen. Oh, like, that's why your shirt's all torn up, and you've got blood spatters yeah, everywhere. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. I had to, yes. <laughs> had to eliminate the hunger. Yep. Um... But yeah, it was like a laser coming into my room. It was so bright. It was casting hard shadows. Hmm. Hard shadows. And you didn't you didn't consider like applying alcohol to the problem or anything like no, that? No. Oh. No, it was it was far too late for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, where you're wrong. Yeah, it was, <laughs> if I had taken that intervention mm-hmm. at the time that I realized I needed it. Yeah. What about like I would a, still be a purple velvet like blindfold like sleepy guy blindfold? Well, I've I've got a winter cap. <laughs> Okay. That I use for that. All right. There Just you go. <laughs> pull down over my face. Uh, it matches the cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's, sleeping on. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, jumping into this. Can we have a new segment where we just learn one more facet of Brandon's life? That would be. Yeah. Oh, man. It's I called just, That's yeah, Me that's with what, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my darkest secrets. Oh, the hat. Now everyone knows. Um, all right. Well, moving on. What are you playing these days, video game wise? Oh, well, yesterday was this like kooky Blizzard Overdrive day. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because of the the pre expansion patch. Yep. World of Warcraft patched. Uh, so I uh, got to check out tons of transmog stuff for my warlock hot mogs oh yeah so in particular in the last expansion there was a set of shoulders in the game that appear like you're carrying a a towel on your shoulder it's like the dumbest it's awful but apparently over the over the process of questing through Draenor, I've earned the right to have three different types of shoulder towels. <laughs> so that was pretty pretty exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then they redid all the talents and stuff, so I got to... Uh, oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. I, I now have an ability called Implosion, which mm. gets all of your imps to like jump at your target and explode. Well, that's fun. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, like, do they... It, was it like another streamlining of the talent tree or just a, a massive streamline again? No glyphs. What? There's like glyphs, schmiffs. Wow. Yeah. So oh, man. Uh, a big, just big hacking away. Out. Yeah. <laughs> that skill tree. I think it's good. Limb I think it's limb. good. Yeah. I just, you know, remembering what it was, you know, at launch, it mm-hmm. was, you know, a fairly normal, complex skill tree, mm-hmm. I guess for, for the, MMO tropes of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing a little bit of a Salt and Sanctuary with a friend the other day. Go on. This is a uh, like a two D platformer. Okay. And it's like basically like two uh, D Dark Souls. Wow. At, like applied to like a Metroidvania style map, but it's like very similar combat mechanics, very similar aesthetic. It's 
Yeah, that, that's how it's been pitched. Salt and Sanctuary. Salt and Sanctuary. Is it equally brutal? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. It's, it, it's a savage game. Do it have long-term unkind mechanics that yes. punish? Okay. Oh. Yes, it does. Mm. Mm. It has everything that you <laughs> have come to know or hate yeah. <laughs> about Dark Souls. <laughs> I have a wary respect for Dark Souls. Oh, yeah. Same here. Same okay. here. I'm not sure if it's a thing I want to s- spend my time on. Right. I find... I find that the striving I do in real life is sufficient <laughs> for, <Yeah. laughs> for, <laughs> for my level of energy. Well, I'm um, done with the day. I realize I haven't suffered enough, so <laughs> I need to find some other suffering outlet. Exactly. That's where people play uh, golf, I think. Yeah. 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 I wonder what Josh thinks about what you just said. What, does he's Josh nodding. play golf? You're he's dead got, to me. He's You're got dead a putter. to me. There's a putter in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah he yeah. puts. He's tall, so I guess it probably gives him a natural leverage <laughs> that works well in that sport. It's very sizest. Yeah, sizest. Um, nice. Or heightest. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the skill tree. Anyway, the reason I brought Assault and Sanctuary is the skill tree in that game is super complicated. Like, mm-hmm. obscenely complicated. Just, I can't even really convey. Just just go look it up. It's, All right. I mean, it's insane. Um, and yeah. I don't know. I think I prefer the streamlined approach as, again, yeah. as someone with finite amount of time to spend suffering in a video game. Yeah. I Here in Filament, I tell the design team and myself when I'm confused about how to solve our problems, if you can, if you can think of a solution that simplifies the design nine times out of ten, that's the better solution. That's the best thing. Like, always, like, grab the simplifying solution and use it as hard as you can because it's almost... At the very least, that's one less thing to worry about. Right. Gives you more time to worry about the rest of the things. So yes. sanding down, rather than adding new things every time to solve problems, uh, simplifying is the way to go. I concur. Yeah. And oh, since I, we have no one else in the studio today. Yeah. So, yeah. Full, cons- yeah. <laughs> full it's true. consensus. We've had so many guest appearances. Now there's this empty chair. It's like, I guess we could pretend Barack Obama's in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could yeah we could what but- say you Barry <laughs> I thought so that's very flippant <laughs> please don't address the president by, by his his flippant name no, that's, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I think I think it's better with yeah. the sealed echo chamber yeah that's right that we're in it's now true. Um, so uh, speaking of the echo chamber here's what we're going to talk about <laughs> in okay. the echo chamber well first um, want to give a Small shout out and thank you to James Portnow of Extra Credits. Yeah, thanks, the, James. The thanks, YouTube everybody. Channel. Um, they recently did a really cool episode about filament games and the stuff that we're doing in the classroom, um, specifically with uh, one of our teacher allies, Mary Headington, in Sun Prairie School District. Yeah. So if you are at all interested in seeing um, kind of some some insights into how we're operating in the classroom and actually some some data some some real metrics in terms of uh, student achievement <clears throat> excuse me as facilitated by games mm-hmm. um, go check out that episode of extra credits it is called uh, classroom metrics I believe yeah. and it's one of their more recent video releases yep so check that out um, and uh, in addition to that will be um, Supplementing that with a case study that uh, actually should have just come out recently based on the release date of this podcast. Um, So, again, if you want to take a closer look at um, that classroom case study and uh, see how it fits into kind of the larger body of game-based learning research, we've got some really cool uh, call-outs to 
some other, you know, meta-analyses and kind of major studies about game-based learning and how effective it can be. You know, we should we should measure learning by length. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like you just Please give someone a piece of that. paper. <laughs> yeah. And you're like write or draw what you know about a topic and based on how long that is, like mm-hmm. how you could actually determine whether or not someone learned more or less. Length-based learning. It would be, it's so measurable, <laughs> right? Like one thing is definitely longer than another. Uh, it's such a good idea. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> we could call it, uh, we have like learnometers maybe, like as a the unit yeah. yep. of measurement. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just this could run and run. Sorry, <laughs> something about the measurement of learning this morning uh, got me thinking. Well, because what's funnier than that? Yeah, yeah. On to the uh, the meat of today's uh, podcast banquet. Banquet. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about yes, yeah, smorgasbord. Uh, you know, other words. Um, we're going to talk about narrative in games, and as it relates to game-based learning. All right, because narrative is important. Narrative is important. So, Norton, let's start just at the very at the crux of the issue. What do you think makes a good narrative in a game? Ooh. Um. Well, I think one of the things that's maybe even controversial about narrative in games is a lot of the things that make a good narrative in a game are the things that make a good narrative a good narrative, like Mm. a a good story, right? So you can actually look at the tools that they use in books, comics, movies, etc., and think about those tools and how they apply to making good narratives in terms of character arcs and uh, development, etc. And those things still apply in games because the narrative is tucked inside a game. And that thing, the fact that narrative as a tool actually uh, is in those mediums and games actually is partially why sometimes game design has a hard time talking about narrative because it's not a unique part of games. It's not mm-hmm. a, a tool that games alone have. Right. And it doesn't, uh, on its own, it doesn't actually accentuate or demonstrate what gaming can do as a form of media. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, and sometimes design uh, designers are frustrated with narrative because they're like that's not the point. Sure, I'm not. I'm yeah, not, yeah. Uh, well, and I've I've definitely played games where it's clear that narrative is not that developer's strong suit. Sure, you know. So it's like the game gives this. It gives them sort of like this elevated platform to convey a very poorly written story. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's like, um, I think that's part of the the struggle too that I'm sure designers face is that like, in many ways, that's not even why they got into the business. You know, yes. like they're people, you know, writer writing is a career unto itself. Yes. So kind of taking, like taking a stab at that from a totally parallel discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, in many cases it succeeds. You know, there's lots of games that have like really great narrative that are on par with, uh, like a film's narrative. I think um, Witcher Three, um, the extent to which I played that game, sure. like that, that's a great example of a game where there are legitimately compelling narratives like packed into every quest. Right. You know, you do a lot of really 
compelling and uh, surprising stuff in that game. Yep. Yeah, I think that probably the Witcher series all the way through has had really compelling stories driven by characters and motivations and interesting wrinkles and changes into your expectations of what's going to happen. Right. Uh, Sexy trading cards. Yes. Well, that was in the first one. Yeah. It's a key element. Of I was like, I it should remember be, that. Yeah, <laughs> key element of every narrative is whether or not there are sexy trading cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's that's a common challenge. You know, I think especially like in early adventure games, like mm-hmm. narrative is one of the best things about those games. They're oh, yeah. usually, they're often very funny. Mm-hmm. There are some very funny writers working on the early adventure game series. Absolutely. And, uh, Grim Fandango uh, is a perfect example right? of that. Yeah, and those they were yeah they were often incredibly creative, um, and the narrative itself was basically the reward. Right, yeah. you would you would play the game and the and by mechanics it's very simple match the object to the situation. Right, adventure game mechanics oftentimes are, not at all intuitive, often gibberish, <laughs> often gibberish. But then the story would unfold and it would be funny and clever and maybe occasionally touching and sure beautiful. Uh, and that was, uh, that was a very common staple. Mm -hmm. Um, then, you know, games moved into, uh, shooting, a lot of shooting and in the first persons, Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of what people defined as the things that, uh, they've got value out of games was the actions they could take and the abilities they had and the tools they had in hand and the skill that they could demonstrate. And narrative sort of took a took a ride into the back seat at that point for a Didn't. while. Um, but in terms of a designer's full toolkit, it's still absolutely there. Um, and I think what people don't often talk about is like, all right, so if narratives are, you know, there's book narratives and there's movie narratives, and those are a little different than there's game narratives. And so, what is what is a what does narrative do to a game that is unique? That mm. you know that that. And I think I think what's interesting about that is. Um, like I said, like the the very the very like thinnest veneer level, a narrative is a reward for the player. Like you have accomplished game stuff, now have some story. Um, but narrative is really awesome at providing depth of character, meaning, context. Mm-hmm. Like those are all things that narratives are for. Right, and those can all feed back and inform. All the other things you're doing in the game, all the other types of mechanics, right? So a narrative yep. can deeply inform the identity that you're asking the player to inhabit Absolutely. or the motivations of characters that you're interacting with. Or a narrative can give you a real deep sense of purpose as to why you're doing the things that the game is asking you to do. Um, it can even it can even provide conflict. It can make you feel challenged about whether or not you're going to do the thing that you thought you were going to do, because now it's not all of a sudden morally clear. Right. I think, yeah, the, um, you know, Bioware and Bethesda both did a lot to create mm-hmm. that uh, sort of a, I don't know, kind of, I guess a zeitgeist almost of like narrative choice and having like true impact. Mm-hmm. I know that was one of the criticisms actually of Fallout 4 is that um, they sort of dialed that back in a way, yeah. and, and the choices were very superficial, and the outcome was virtually the same, regardless of kind of what dialogue tree you chose to go down. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, so it, it also, it, in I think more recent years, it's become a way to actually completely change the outcome of the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and, and that has 
you know, massive ramifications on your character. So is your shepherd like you know, the renegade shepherd, or is he right. like the, the, the savior, <laughs> basically? Yeah, you know, there was a really interesting controversy a long time ago. I think it was even pre-Gamergate. It was like an echo, the premonition of Gamergate, in mm. which one of the writers for Mass Effect, um, uh, she was a woman, and she had mentioned in an interview that, you know, she really wasn't interested in the combat mechanics at all. Like, really, for her, the meat of Mass Effect was the story and the mm-hmm. choices you make. Um, and that actually provoked a pretty violent reaction from a lot of players being like, you know, mm. you want to kill the combat part of this game. Uh, and I just, I don't know. It was really interesting to me because I think, yeah. I think from like, uh, <clears throat> actually maybe even goes back to that sort of when I was talking about designers are frustrated. I think some people are so mechanically reductionist about what a game is. A game is only the only the actions you can take and the skills you can demonstrate, right? That right. that they really, anyone suggesting that the, you know, if you hyper-reduce the, the narrative of Mass Effect down, it's basically multiple choice. Yeah. Right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so and and it's just text. Yes. It's just words. <laughs> and words mean nothing. <laughs> right? Uh, so I think uh, there still are players who even when, even when presented with fantastic narratives that actually pr- could provide meaning uh, reject that meaning uh, and insist that the only value of an experience in a game is going to be through uh, the actions taken. Right, the the moments where they have agency, which is it, funny to me because, you know, you think about a game like Stanley Parable, which is effectively there to demonstrate to you how all agency in a game is yes. entirely illusory yes. <laughs> um, through the power of narrative. <laughs> Man, what a game. Yeah. What I, a game. I, I, we've talked about it before, but yeah, again, if if you if you want a, a deep meditation on game narrative and player agency, highly recommend that game. Yeah. You will not know how to be subversive. Whatever right. your efforts are to be subversive, you yeah. will be yeah. unsure of whether or not Yes, that game sees you yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah, it, it sees you coming from every angle. <laughs> yep. No matter what. I think I think the, the the real triumph of Stanley Parable for me is I was like, ha well, I'm just going to do everything you tell me. Right. What do you think of that game? And they're like, oh, good job. Yeah, they're like, great. <laughs> Actually, they give you an ending that's like, and you've finally broken free of the mind control, and you're a, a totally a free will person. Great job. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you're mocking me. <laughs> you mock me at every step. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Stanley Parable. It's so a tricky good. game. Yeah. So, um, so we've talked a little bit about the potentials mm-hmm. of narrative and how it can be applied. So, you know, put you on the spot. What do you think? Do you have rules as a designer, like where you would use it versus when you wouldn't? Like types of games, uh, scope of game. You know, are there any kind of filters for you there where where you're like maybe narrative isn't good for this project or maybe maybe narrative is exactly what I need well I think yeah oh, that's interesting when would I want to I think if the task itself is self-evidently interesting or or is tied to an obvious cycle of mastery mm-hmm. you might not need a narrative you might be like oh people will do this because it's interesting uh, and that you may just focus on that as the engine of engagement like providing more feedback and fostering around it I think if you've got, you know, socio-emotional goals involved with your game, if you want to have people think about people and perspectives, you know, there's it's really hard to get at that without using tools like narrative that have been used to, you know, explore humanity for 
thousands of years. Right. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to draw on there, but if, uh, I think, yeah, I think maybe an interesting way to think about it is, you know, if the player comes to the game with a preloaded set of, uh, I'm hesitant to call them extrinsic or intrinsic. If they know they want to play the game to get good at it, either because mm-hmm. they come to the game with that perspective or because the thing itself is self-selecting. Um, like, I've, I've been talking with some filament folks here about making a game about using, like, Euclidean geometry rules to, like, craft magic spells. And, like, I'm not too worried about a giant narrative <laughs> to, like, explain why. I mean, there'll be something, right? <laughs> but it's, like, you just tell someone, you know, you're going to be, like, carving these geometric shapes out of the air and then throwing them at other wizards. Right. And they're in. Or they're not. Yeah. You know? It's so <laughs> it's sort of like it's a... It sort of takes care of itself. Yeah, uh, that's a, a very shoestring narrative, but it suffices. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> blow up a wizard with giant polygons. Sign me up. So... uh so that's like one spot where you don't have to spend a lot of time worrying too much about the narrative. Um, but yeah, I think if you want to include a human perspective of why would you do this? What's the context? What are, what are people, how are people involved with these decisions and what should you think about people and their perspectives on this thing? Things mm-hmm. that involve, uh, yeah, I think maybe, yeah, maybe that's the main line is maybe, uh, when you need to create a personal context, you know, so like papers, please, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it is at the surface is a mechanically driven game, right. uh, and you feel like, uh, well, I mean, uh, maybe not every player, but I was like, oh, processing passports, this is fun. <laughs> ah, let's try that. You may be unique in that regard. Yeah, right. I mean, but it, it's fun and how obviously unfun it is. But you know, but then all of a sudden, like without your permission, like a uh, uh, narrative. Uh, comes in and asserts mm-hmm. a context that is totally uncomfortable. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And you didn't ask for it, which either, which does a wonderful job of further entrenching your identity, right? right. You're like, I'm just a guy <laughs> processing passports. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, so they do this wonderful job of having even the narrative itself, uh, the fact that it exists impacts your identity. Mm-hmm. Um and then you, you know, you swirl around with trying to be empowered by it, being like, yeah, I'm going to help people. <laughs> You're like, oh, I get totally screwed when I help people. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not going to help people. I'm just going to work selfishly. Oh, I get caught. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it does a wonderful job of using narrative tools and that yeah. that context and, and purpose. And to, turning people off to process, processing passports for yeah. a career. Yeah, right. <laughs> Avoid that. I thought I wanted to work in a dystopian <laughs> Eastern European passport office, but now I'm not so sure. As it turns out. Yeah. 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 Very unpleasant. Let's talk about some different approaches that Filament has taken. Um, so I'm thinking about um, Epic Orphan. Specifically. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that project. And um, I know we had spoken about that um, when we were out of Games for Change. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were talking about uh, that game within the context of comics, which mm-hmm. are, of course, uh, the narrative medium for that game. Yes. Yeah. So. And that actually, that game was very. Uh, essentially a narrative first, right? It's almost a narrative with 
some game experiences inside it rather mm-hmm. than a game experience that entirely drives a learning objective. So Epic Orphan was a uh, game prototype we made uh, with N Square and Games for Change to uh, raise awareness about uh, untracked, uh, lost or confiscated nuclear materials mm-hmm. and the bad things that can happen with those things. So it's obviously a very complicated issue. Uh, there's lots of lots of things can go badly with nuclear materials on the lam. Indeed. It turns out. Yeah. Everything from uh, just environmental disasters to terrorism. So so we wanted to use a narrative because it would let us uh, it would let us rapidly move through all the different, very, very different contexts in which uh, nuclear material uh, could be a potential threat, like lost nuclear material could be a threat. Mm-hmm. So the narrative is a, is a great piece of glue to explain different perspectives and purposes and, and the things that can go wrong. And, uh, and it also gave us enough context to give you an identity of like a, a federal agent that is on the case uh, to, you know, to propel you through all these different scenarios. Mm. You know, like there's a version of that game that would be purely mechanical in which you're like, well, you are an agency and you've got like a big like XCOM type map and a little dot appears somewhere where some materials have been identified as lost and you like send a team. And we can make, you know, a strategy resource management game that is just about some super high level understanding. But it doesn't actually get to any real sense of urgency or danger or context of why why these things happen and why they shouldn't. So, you know, it 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 really needs a narrative to have you affected by it. Sure. Sure. It it, it establishes the stakes and yeah, explores those outcomes totally. that, that could potentially arrive. Um are there any other games, you know, that we've done either as uh, first party or for other clients that are not under NDA um, that, that you think would be like kind of exemplary of like our approach to narrative? There yeah. Is? So we're working on a project right now, uh, actually, <laughs> uh, uh, about empathy. And we're actually developing it as a mod for Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so Minecraft obviously is a uh, almost famously mechanically driven game, mm-hmm. right? It's a very sterile world where you're like, I don't, I don't know why I'm here, uh, and you have to, cr- you have, you know, you have to craft meaning for yourself in a rugged environment. You have to go punch a tree. You got to punch a tree. <laughs> you got, you got to get tree punching out there, son. That's step one. Yeah, and uh, so. Uh, but yeah, so we wanted to make a Minecraft mod about empathy. So the things we're laying on to it are, one, we're getting, uh, we're repurposing villagers rather than being like weird, you know, wandering squid people. Uh, or pigmen? I don't know. They're... Well, the pigmen are in the nether. Oh. Yeah. In regular I... Minecraft overworld, they are, they they look like Squidward. Okay. There's already these villagers and they have a trading capability, but otherwise they're essentially... I think they have the same AI as the pigman, more or Just less. Wandering back we and wander. forth. Yeah. All right. If you attack one, they get angry. Mm. Um, okay. So we're actually going to be layering on NPCs that look like players. They look like people. Mm. And they will have quests. All right. And we're actually going to arrange those quests around different aspects of empathy. Okay. So, so like what kind of aspects? 
Well, so I'm working on a quest line right now where uh, you're going to be trying to resolve the difference between some local villagers and nomads that are passing through. So trying to understand those different perspectives and seeing the barriers that the two groups have for trying to understand the other side's angle Mm -hmm. uh, are going to be big hinges on getting those quests done correctly. Um, And things too, like uh, using context to understand someone's goals even without them saying it right so someone may not ask you for food but you'll be able to piece together that you could probably use some food and maybe mm-hmm. they're too proud to ask but ah. you're gonna go ahead and work All right. through that so it's it's sort of challenging your ability to be intuitive mm-hmm. which is obviously a huge part of empathy is is intuitively understanding what another person is experiencing or feeling yeah absent their explicit indication exactly yeah. yeah so sometimes it'll be directly challenging the players on practice of empathy and then a lot of the time you'll you'll be you'll be sort of uh you know a diamond armored counselor <laughs> providing <laughs> providing a perspective to mediate and it's, it's actually you know there's lots of mass effects that, sure. that stuff's all over the place in Mass Effect too. So there's right. lots of great, great examples of quests where you're like, you wander into an altercation and you basically have to take a side. Yeah, yeah exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the core premise that that is a lot paired along with a a well two other features. One is a basically a moat slash emoji system in Minecraft where you can flag yourself as in particular different moods like. Mm. I'm out exploring, or I'm I'm up for building, or I'd like to be left alone. Okay. So you can just sort of flag your current sort of emotional status in Minecraft, which oh, I thought sure. was kind of nice and simple. Yeah. Um, Sandblocks make me frowny face. Yeah, exactly. Kind of yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the other components we're going to include, like a pet, uh, and the pet will actually respond to you, the actions you take in the game, either fulfilling quests or feeding animals or just generally doing kind things. Mm. Uh, your pet will become cooler and better trained and able to do neater and neater stuff. Okay. Yeah. So this is a, a pet on the on the order orderly good side of the yes. persona spectrum. Yes. Okay. We originally thought that the pet should also go evil if you do bad things, but then we're <laughs> like, oh, no, everyone's going to do that as hard as they can on purpose. Exactly. Right. Everyone <laughs> wants the, the dire wolf with yeah. blood dripping off his fangs. Right. And they'd right. be like, how many villagers do I got to kill to make this happen? That's pretty much what they would say. So, that is, Yeah, that's no longer about empathy. Yeah, exactly. That's, right? that's a very selfish chain of thought yes. in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, well, I think, you know, there's a weird relationship about games. Uh, games give you a safe space to be on a bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? That's true. That's very true. You know, like there's a lot of arguments for like, you're like, man, this guy's a psychopath. It's like, well, none of us are real. Like, yeah, he can murder you, but you're still eating a sandwich at your desk. It's, you know, like the stakes are in the game. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon looked very confused. I realized I stated that poorly. Someone can murder your in-game avatar, but you are still there at your desk with a sandwich. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yes. sorry. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was like, wait, is that was that Mad Libs? Yeah. You're <laughs> <laughs> just freewheeling now? Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, like, yeah, people do genuinely terrible things to other people inside games mm-hmm. with a quasi-reasonable justification that it is a uh, not a real place. Right. Um, but the big difference, of course, is that they are real people. See, and now this speaks actually to your method of how to overcome griefing in an MMO, mm-hmm. which is to go make a sandwich. Right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's true. You're right. <laughs> now this is all coming together for me. Yes. Now. 
I synthesized. forgot about the sandwich technique. I've been yeah. on a stupid PVE server for so long. I've yeah. just a Care Bear now. I got to get back. You just got as many sandwiches as you like. <laughs> I got to get back to the landscape of suffering. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, games, yeah, the games can often be not very empathic places. But mm-hmm. then there's also, especially games like social games, like yeah. war. There's wonderful, wonderful things can happen where people are kind to each other because they are people even Certainly. though they yeah so so the spectrum exists and uh i really don't i don't have much time or patience for people who treat other people poorly because it's a video game right um i will, I will never play eve mm. for example because i think it's a celebration of of sort of an Ayn Randian yeah, do just, unto others what right. you think you can get away with. Mm-hmm. Purely um, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I think uh, Arthur Lowe actually had just gotten into that game mm-hmm. and then very rapidly exited it yes. <laughs> after a few calamitous yes. <laughs> interactions with the, with the player base, basically. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a game that uh, and people play it on purpose for that because it's so cutthroat. Yeah. And I mean, that's fine. Yeah. That's just not my bag, man. That's fair enough. I like the idea of logging into a game where people are looking for interesting ways to be nice to each other. Yeah. Is that so crazy? (laughs) Is that so crazy, America? That just sounds lovely, Dan. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, can you queue Imagine up? I can't. But you know what I can queue up? Yeah? Is our final segment. Oh, I'm ready. Wow. What? <laughs> One more time. Yeah. Just, just once more. Yeah. Fabrication. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I like that. Is that a cowbell at the end or a wood block? That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is. There it is. I feel like we've both won. <laughs> it's official now. Mm-hmm. Factor Fabrication. This week, I will be trying to stump Dan Norton in our game of word chess. Right? And I've, I've, I've got. I keep losing. I've we're got three. a week to burn. Right, yeah, I can, I can lose this one and be back to a tie. Yeah, we're three and two. Yeah, much to my shame, I have, I have created the dungeon which has become my own prison, <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot escape. Um, but so today uh, we have a theme, as we always do, and the theme is narrative. Narrative. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to get a little English major on you here. All right. I've read several books. <laughs> I actually so. am worried about this because I'm like, you're pretty well read. You might just know some of this stuff. We'll see. We'll see but what happens. I, I reached pretty far back as well. So okay. I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping you're not super brushed up on like 12th and 14th <laughs> yeah. century on literature. On Umhex Clay Sumerian tablets, <laughs> he requested a several jars of mead to be improved in quality. <laughs> It was actually five, John. Yeah, it's actually me. five. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, fact number one. Yeah. In Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. Heard of it. The friar is an early example of an unreliable narrator. Hmm. I think that's true. That's number one. Keep on going, though. Number two. The tale of, and I'm going to mess up these pronunciations, so bear with me. The tale of... Genji is often considered to be the first novel and was written by the noble one and la- noblewoman and lady-in-waiting Murasaki Shikibu in the early years of the 11th century. Oh, crap. So, <laughs> damn it. I think they're both true. They're both true, except for one has some trivial alteration. 
So is it the 11th century is the first novel? Or is it the friar in particular who is the unreliable narrator? Uh, is it called the Tale of Genji actually? Yeah, I think that's true. I'm terrible at Genji, by the way, in Overwatch. That's not a. That's my least. Uh, least. I still. Good. Ha I downloaded it, but I still haven't played. Ah, oh, don't. But play. I will. Yeah. If you get good at Genji, let me know because it's right. totally opaque to me. All right. Um. Okay. So. Okay. So yeah. So. Canterbury Tales did all sorts of awesome front and back flips with the language. Unreliable narrator sounds totally like one of the kind of cool things it would pull off. Mm-hmm. Um. I had no idea if it was the friar. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm stuck. I've also never read it. Um, and I've read, I know of the tale of Genji. I know that a noble woman wrote the first, considered the first novel. So the Japan part, the lady part, the, the, the novel part all lock in. I just don't know if it's 11th century. 11th century seems a little late for the first novel. If you'd think that would be... <sighs> oh, this one's tough, Brandon. We may we may be... All right, I'm going to... Uh, I am going to choose... Uh, the Canterbury Tale is the fabrication, simply because I don't know. The friar. You're correct. Yeah! And I remain trapped. <laughs> But it was a was I right in the right way? Yeah, it, it was, was not uh, the friar. It was the wife of Bath. See, yeah, well. she's uh she just lies all over the place. All right, all of her recollections are very specious. Awesome. She cannot be trusted. Awesome. Yeah, I think you should try an outright complete lie. Yeah, at some point I'm just gonna make up something that is in no way true, has no element of truth yeah. whatsoever. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said. <laughs> I, I'm at a loss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be as transparent about my strategy as possible. Yeah, I mean that was really a coin flip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. So at some point, you know, it's going to be heads again. That's true for me. <laughs> but now I can blow it next week and still be ahead. So I will. Uh, I'm going to get sloppy. Yeah, just rub it in, man. Yeah, just rub it right yep. in. That's all right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's on the soundboard. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Ugh. Well, I feel very good about it. All right. This is, <laughs> this is my consolation prize for my shameful loss. Um, wow. All right. Well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I won't even bring Dan next time. Yeah, you got it. It's all taken care of. <laughs> I'll just say interesting things and just <laughs> knock that in. Um, wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all the time wow. we have for today. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Get us out of here. <laughs> Help us. Help. Soundboard man's uh, ruining everything. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next week, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher.